0: All right. So this is the Coach Haas podcast sponsored by Sports Rehab PA, Bucks County's premier sports rehab. Uh, Also, Mike, we have another sponsor now. We have um, bio optimizers, mass enzymes. Um, I believe that you told me that if we use the, uh, if the audience uses the code juicy, they will get 10% off. Yeah, mass enzymes. Yeah. So real quick, for anyone who's watching it on YouTube, this is the mass enzymes. I have a quick story about this. They are not paying me to do this. This was beforehand. I gave them my testimonial. Mike literally turned me on to these. Um, I had some gut issues over the summer that led out, you know, throughout the fall. And I was really getting discouraged. And I was really having a tough time trying to figure out, you know, I was losing weight. I just, I just wasn't myself. I had a surgery back in September, but with all that going on, uh, I was really trying to find some better ways for, for some gut health. And he turned me on to these. And literally, since I've been taking these, and I take them every day, I have not had any bloating, any, any gastric issues that I was having before this. I mean, it, an absolute miracle. So. Um, we are getting 10% off. You guys are getting 10% off. I'm not getting anything for for saying that. I'm just, I'm just saying that that's, that's my testimonial there. But again, it's 10% off, uh, for the audience out there. Uh, the code is juicy.
1: Yeah. To clarify the mass signs help to break down protein content. So high protein steaks, protein shakes. And then they have another, um, probiotic P3OM that just helps with daily digestion, uh, and found to be really good for, um, athlete, you know, especially athletes or people that are just having difficulty, you know, they're ingesting a lot. Sometimes they're not taking out as much of the nutrients, and then need a little help with that. Especially um, if you're competing and you have high volume of a lot of these, uh, you know, food sources, and you need help with that. So yeah, they, they
0: work pretty good. Awesome. Which is kind of a pretty cool segue into our uh, into our guests tonight, huh? Uh, yeah. Mike uh, did some great work here and. You know, just from him listening to other podcasts, you know, and just stumbling upon somebody. And, and, and here we go. This is this should be some entertaining stuff tonight because uh, this really kind of hits into the group that we really focus on uh, is that young teenage girl, you know. So uh, without any further ado, I want to introduce uh, Dr. Anna Robbie. She's a registered dietitian, uh, nutritionist, licensed dietitian, I should say. Uh, and also a certified personal trainer. So um, we're going to have Anna come on, and I want her to kind of tell us a little bit about her background and kind of lead up to where we are now. Anna, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: It's good to hear your voice. We were having some technical difficulties there in the beginning, and I was talking, but nobody could hear me. So I guess that was a good thing. But uh, here we <laughs> So good now. We're all good now. We're all good. So welcome.
2: Yeah. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, it's definitely been a a journey to get here, but I've been really grateful for all of the learning experiences along the way. Um, I've always been an athlete. I started in gymnastics when I was three and I've been in some sort of sport and competing ever since, all the way through grad school and now kind of out into the the real world. Um, so I've always enjoyed being active in the active lifestyle. And I started to get interested in nutrition around late high school, early college. And my freshman year of college, we had to write a 10-page paper on our dream job. And so I chose sports dietitian because I thought, what a cool job. I get to learn about food and how it impacts your body and you know, influence your performance. And when I was doing that research, I learned that you have to become a registered dietitian to formally give out the nutrition advice and get the jobs that I was looking for. And so in order to become a registered dietitian, you have to do um, a didactic program in dietetics or DPD program. And there are only a handful of those in the country. And so the school I was at did not have a DPD program. So I had to choose between staying where I was and transferring. And I really liked my school. I was at St. Olaf College. And um, I decided to take the leap and transfer. So I transferred out to Cornell University and um, finished my bachelor's degree there. And then from then, I uh, applied to their combined PhD RD position. So they have a really unique position where you can do your doctoral work and your registered dietitian internship simultaneously. Oh, wow. And by that point, I knew that I wanted to get my PhD because I was so confused with all of the nutrition information that was out there. There's a lot of conflicting information and just, you know, I didn't quite know what to believe. And I realized the only way that I would get to the bottom of it was to learn how to real, really analyze and read the research myself. And so I decided to pursue my doctoral degree um, and was thankful that I, I landed the combined PhD RD position. Um, so I completed that and Afterwards, I was doing research out at the NIH, the National Institutes of Health. So I was living in Washington, D.C. for a while. And then afterwards, I transitioned kind of into private practice where I see clients individually. And I'm also the chief research officer of Athlete Blood Test.
0: Wow. All right. That's a handful, Mike, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I obviously came across Anna by listening to the Running Public podcast, which is hosted by... Uh, two top OCR guys, and they brought her on so she could talk about um, this stuff, diet and nutrition, um, because it's like the one thing that athletes are always like painting about, but they don't aren't doing stuff right. They get caught up in these fads and things. Um, so I thought it'd be great to bring you on, Anna, because like Joe said, we work with a lot of female athletes, from high school, college level, um, mostly soccer, field sports, and um, one of the biggest that we have to deal with is, uh, it's all right, I have a dog, she does the same yeah.
0: thing. Uh, we're good, it makes it It makes <laughs> yeah. it genuine, right? Yeah, yeah. Genuine. yeah, exactly. Um,
1: but well, the other thing, you know, is how they deal with, you know, these kids don't eat, they don't eat, and they don't know what to eat. Um, and the, the boys are, mean you know, are just as bad, but I mean, the girls, you know, there's a lot of issues that obviously get into, into this podcast. Where I heard you talk about a lot of great things on another podcast, so I think it'd be really cool if you to share all this knowledge, because it's just not well known, the information's not there, you know? Um, so we want to try to get this information out for moms and for the athletes to hear, for coaches to hear, and even physicians, you know? um, A lot of people just don't have the information, the right information.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yes. So I have my first question I have, uh, and this was actually asked by one of the girls that I'm working with, and she was asking about intermittent fasting and and intermittent fasting and and, and how th- does that work for an athlete and I said well, that's pretty funny you asked that question I said we're going to have somebody on so I will I won't mention her name but she'll be listening so she'll know uh that I asked the question for her but I I, I do I, I mean what can he can that help an athlete or is that just for people trying to lose weight how, would it, give me a little bit more about that
2: Yeah, so I'm glad you asked. So I did a few intermittent fasting studies as part of my doctoral research. So I I get really excited about intermittent fasting, especially in an athletic population. Because when I was in grad school, intermittent fasting was just starting to become popular. And so I thought, let's contribute to this research because we don't have a lot in human studies. And so I really wanted to pursue this area. And we came up with some rather surprising results. Um, But in a nutshell, I do not recommend intermittent fasting for athletes, especially for women. I don't recommend intermittent fasting for any woman, but especially female athletes. Um, And this is because as women, our bodies are more sensitive to energy balance and energy availability. And so we now have research showing that if you have enough calories, even within your feeding window, that that can still cause hormonal imbalances and health issues later on, um, for athletic performance, as well as kind of long-term health. So for female athletes, I would say it's a definite no for athletes in general. I don't think that it's beneficial. Um, we have some research looking at men and strength training protocols, and they show that the intermittent fasting isn't necessarily any better for, you know, fat loss. Um, and it's not potentially as detrimental as you might think, but it's not beneficial. And so, gotcha. you know, in that regard, I think you see athletes getting better results for body composition and especially for strength gains and recoverability around the clock. If you have more of a balanced kind of longer eating period, because if you think about it for an athlete, you are constantly trying to repair damaged tissue from training or preparing for your upcoming workout or competition. And so there are only so many hours in the day that you can do that. Yep. And you know, you have to have your workouts in there. And so that's a time when you can't be eating. And so if we really start to shorten that window, we're really limiting when the cells have nutrients available to them and that's going to inhibit their recoverability. So for athletes, I don't recommend it, Um, but especially for women, it really throws our hormones off. So even for women who aren't necessarily active, I still don't recommend it. Very interesting.
0: Yeah, Mike. I
1: I think like a great start would be, um, how is the female different than the male athlete? And especially at that age where you know, um, looking at, you know, girls, you know, you know, like organized sports is a big thing. So girls are, and, and boys, but you know, their kids are starting younger involved all year round, they're like pro athletes. They'll play soccer all year round, starting at age, like eight, even maybe even younger. And then they go and they go and they specialize. I mean, that's a whole separate issue in itself, but they're going nonstop. So from like a young girl to like a teenage to college, how does the nutrition differ and what makes the female different than the male and what they need?
2: Yeah. So that's a a good question. And there's a, a lot that goes into answering that. So you don't see big differences in male and female athletes until puberty, right? Boys and girls are relatively equal in terms of like their strength and their athletic potential. And this is because they don't have, you know, dominant sex hormones at this point, but once they start going through puberty, now we start to see some changes in their bone density um, and their growth hormones, testosterone starts to increase, you know, primarily in men, but women as well. Women mm-hmm. have about one tenth to one 30th, the amount of testosterone compared to men. So as a girl is, you know, growing and aging, her needs are going to change, right? So what you need when you're, you know, 12 is different from when you're 22 and different when you're 52. So your needs are going to change kind of as you're training and you're aging and going kind of throughout your athletic career. But primarily women are going to have these hormonal fluctuations, which is going to dictate their needs. So once they start getting a menstrual cycle, this is when the changes are really going to come into play. So women have higher body fat, and that is essential. We need at least about 12% body fat, whereas men have about 3% essential body fat. So we need more body fat. um, And then our calorie needs are going to change throughout the menstrual cycle. So Uh, women tend to burn more calories in the second half of their phase, the luteal phase when our metabolism increases. So then during that time and progesterone starts to increase our protein breakdown increases. So increasing protein needs as well as increasing fat, because we start to burn more fat during this phase. Whereas in the first half of the cycle, you're going to be burning more carbohydrates during your exercise. So, really starting to periodize nutrition around the menstrual cycle is important for female athletes. So, in that first half of the cycle, you know is a great time to carb load doing those higher intensity workouts. You can use glycogen, but in that second half, our bodies aren't as sensitive to insulin and we have a harder time tapping into that glycogen storage. So that's when we're going to need more carbohydrate during those higher intense workouts, because we can't tap into that glycogen as easily. And then also relying more on fats during those workouts as well. So in general, um, women tend to need more carbohydrates than men. Men can do okay with more of a ketogenic or a low carb approach approach. Um, I wouldn't recommend that necessarily for athletic performance, but, you know, let's say someone who's kind of dieting men, we don't necessarily see the detrimental effects on the low carb. However, for women, our bodies are a lot more sensitive, as I mentioned to that energy availability. So there's something called GNRH, uh, pulsatility. And when we have low carbohydrate, um, our bodies kind of freak out essentially, and we start to see hormonal disturbances. So, our thyroid starts to decrease. Um, you know, our metabolic rate can go south, and we start to see these kind of larger shifts in health and performance when we're not getting enough energy. So, overall, I would just say women are more sensitive and, you know, they're going to need more carbohydrate relative to men over the long term.
1: So it's very interesting you say that because we know how society is and females obviously have the body image and everybody thinks carbs are bad. What's the first thing they want to do? They want to cut the carbs. And I try to explain this. I even do this with my own family, because we go to a holiday, you know, having a holiday dinner, get together, whatever. And it's like, oh, my God, I'm so fat. Now I need to work out for a week and I can't stand it. And they don't understand that carbs are the energy. So I want to emphasize this to all the females listening that carbs are important. But can you help break down what carbs these are? And if this is a difference between, you know, soft pretzels from Wawa every day or what is a good source and what should we be eating before a workout so we don't come in and and throw up? Basically,
0: (laughs) Did you follow me to work today? Is that why you mentioned the pretzel? <laughs> Joe, I know your habits.
2: <laughs> so Darn. yeah, um, if you're looking at sort of the the pre workout, we'll start there with the pretzels. Um, so I kind of break down the pre workout nutrition into different phases. So you have your pre workout meal, which is anything three to four hours before the workout. So if you've got three or four hours, you have enough time to metabolize. A pretty normal meal. So this could be lunch or you know, breakfast, dinner. This could be a decent sized meal. Doesn't really have to be anything specialized. But now if we start to get into the you know one to two hours before beforehand, now we want to start thinking about easier to digest carbohydrates. So limiting fiber um, and then also limiting fat. Again, we don't want to have a low-fat diet, but right before our training scaling back on the fiber and fat, because those two things are going to slow digestion. And we want that food to digest as quickly as possible. So it can get to our muscles and get to our cells to help us during the workout. And then if you have an hour or less, I recommend just sticking to liquids. Some people are fine with a little bit more food. I have some athletes who can go for a run after Thanksgiving dinner. And it's like, Great, more power to you. But I have other athletes with, you know, no food for them four hours before they get nauseous. So you have to listen to your own body, and really think about, you know, how do you feel after eating certain foods. But generally speaking, easier to digest carbohydrates uh, beforehand is going to be helpful. Um, fruit can be a good source of, you know, carbohydrates. Again, not too much fiber, but smoothies work really well because if you're blending them, now it's already essentially pre-digested. You don't have to break it down. It's just a matter of absorbing it. Um, And that liquid can also help with hydration going into your workout. Um, Really focusing on sort of nutritious foods or real food, as I like to say, as the foundation of your nutrition. So you know, with the pretzels, it's like, yes, have your fun foods. Um, And actually before or after a workout can be a good time. For those, because they're quickly digested usually, but in order for an athlete to really be their best, they need to be a healthy person. And that means having a solid foundation with real food. So making sure that they're getting a wide variety, you know, from the different food groups and within each group to make sure that they have the vitamins, the minerals, you know, the, the essential elements that they need to be healthy so that they can perform well so you know if an athlete can focus on getting that real food in most of the time that's going to be great and then you know if they want to have a treat that's that's totally fine but you know keeping that i would say to maybe 20 percent of the time so if you can have 80 percent kind of real food the 80 20 rule works every 80 20 rule works, works for
0: everything yes so Anna, i have a question about Do the liquids have- go ahead mike go ahead.
1: yes now, I was just going to ask real quick, do you have like specific examples of things that you like that you find at work that you might prescribe to your athletes? Because sometimes when I'm talking to the, you know, the patients and, um, you know, like, well, what should I eat? What are examples, you know, because they go to the, the food store and they're lost. They don't know what to get. So, I mean, you know, sometimes it helps if people have a little bit of guidance and then they can see what works for them. And at least they kind of know, okay, well, she said something similar to this. So this might not work because it has these ingredients or maybe something, similar with something else. Like some people have sensitivities to like bananas or breads or like certain crackers or something, you know? So maybe that have to be gluten-free. So maybe a different option, you know?
2: Yeah. So for pre-workout ideas, like I said, I'm a big fan of smoothies. So yeah. blending some kind of protein powder, I... Ideally, from a you know a nutrient perspective, I recommend a whey protein just because it has the most beneficial amino acid profile. But I realize that not everyone likes it, tolerates it, or likes to have you know dairy based protein. Um, so picking a protein powder that feels good to them is important. Blending that with like you said, I like frozen um, bananas or berries is a good option. With either you know some milk, milk alternative is an easy thing. Um, Another thing could be like some cereal, um, that's quickly digested. Um, I don't recommend oatmeal. That's one of the biggest I would heavy, say, mistakes. Right? Yeah. So, and especially like pre-race or pre-workout people have yeah. oatmeal because like, oh, it's good carbs, but it's really slow to digest. So yeah. I would say switch to like cream of rice, cream of wheat, grits, something like that, that isn't going to have the, the slow fiber in it. Um, Otherwise, chocolate milk is actually a really good option because that's got complete protein. It's got electrolytes, fluid, um, and some carbohydrates and protein in it as well. Um, If they're kind of in a pinch, they don't like to cook. That's an easy thing. Um, But otherwise, yeah, something that's easy digestive rice cakes, um, crackers, you could do like a piece of toast, like with some jam or something that would be easy to, to get in.
0: Cool. Nice. So, so that's that's pre-workout. So, my question kind of goes along the next step there. And you were talking about liquids, so that was good that Mike jumped in there. Um, Gatorade. Do you recommend? And now, I'm not a big fan of it, but maybe if it's a half and half, while they're working out to give them that extra carb boost, is that? Would you recommend something like? So, we have pre-workout what they're eating, but. What, what can give me fuel during the workout? Obviously I'm not gonna eat, but you know, would that work?
2: Yeah, so it, it depends on what the workout is and how long it is. Um, you know, usually you don't need any sort of intro workout carbohydrate if it's not super intense and it's less than like 75 to 90 minutes then usually kind of water or maybe some electrolytes would be okay. But if it is higher intense or they do want to have some calories during the workout, I don't recommend kind of the straight, um, sports drinks, like you mentioned, they're so concentrated. Ideally, you want to have, um, a solution of about six to 8%, um, concentration of carbohydrates. And so most, you know, kind of store-bought uh drinks are going to be too concentrated and that can cause bloating and GI issues. So and some women too get nausea pretty mm. easily with some of these more concentrated solutions. So having a concentration that's a little bit in closer to that ideal range is going to be optimal. So even things like Pedialyte, there are some other carb powders out there. Um, one that I like is called Vitargo it's a high molecular weight carbohydrate. So it's less likely to give you GI issues. Um, otherwise I have a variety of brands that other athletes use in terms of like, you know, a carb powder. Some really like, um, tailwind Martin, Mm, um, there's a variety out there. And so what I tell my athletes is, you know, I'll give them some suggestions, but I say, try, you know, try a variety of them to see what sits well for you, because everyone is different. We all have a different gut and, you know, some people are going to love it. Some are going to hate it. So you have to find what works well mm-hmm. for you, but, you know, to answer your question, Joe, I would say if they are going to get like a Gatorade powered, something like that, and you would want to dilute it.
0: Okay. All right.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've come across some really good brands throughout my experience with OCR, you know, and they're all out in there for endurance athletes and such. So obviously Tailwind, I know a lot of the longer, like the uh, ultra runners and stuff, we use that. Um, It's just low on sugar. It's light on the stomach. Uh, Come across Noon Hydration is um, one of the tabs we really like. I've been recommending that a lot because um, of the natural sugars in it. From my understanding, Gatorade uses a lot of the GMO type corn um, sugar from there. So it's kind of hard to break down. And sometimes you can even felt feeling a little more dehydrated after, because it like leaves this like sludge in your stomach and your body's trying to break that down. Um, and then you have people that just walk around and just sip Gatorade throughout the day, and not, you know, doing much, you know, it's not like they're outside in the heat, sweating or losing anything. So they're accumulating this extra, um, the other, uh, kind of carb source, uh, I've come across. Have you heard of familiar with honey stinger? -hmm. Yeah, so they make the waffles. They're really light on the stomach. They have the cracker bars. Um, They do make, you know, the goo chomps and stuff, but I find those to be more for endurance athletes that are out on a course for a long period of time, runners. Um, But for a lot of these field athletes that are going, stop and go, stop and go, um, they need something that they could kind of have like within the game, uh, especially if it's like a tournament and they're going for a long period of time. Uh, they just don't know like what, what to drink, what to eat, you know, and then even like beforehand. So I think this kind of helps them choose some better sources. Um, I think the other obstacle we come across with females is uh, you know, the strength training component. They think that if they lift weights, they're going to get bulky. It's this old myth that still <laughs> resides around and, and, and we're trying to break this and so they can understand how important strengthening is sort of female. Can you maybe touch a little bit on that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's a very pervasive myth that if women lift weights, they're gonna get bulky. It's, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know uh, how long it's gonna take for that myth to die out, but hopefully soon.
0: I've been Um, lifting for a long time and I can't get bulky.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I was gonna say, ask any guy in the gym. (laughs) Exactly. They will will tell you it's not true. And I think it's because you see some women who are very muscular. And they're clearly on some sort of steroids, some Mm -hmm. sort of uh, hormonal assistance, we'll say, and they're not naturally training. And if they are, you know, naturally training, and they're not taking any steroids, they're training hours a day. Um, And they're very consistent with their workouts. So in terms of, you know, just a general women, you know, women lifting weights, you do not have to worry about getting bulky. As I mentioned, we have about one tenth to one thirtieth the amount of testosterone compared to men. So, you know, it takes so much time and effort to get quote unquote bulky that you, you know, it's very unlikely that that would happen. Or if it did, you would have to intentionally be pursuing that. But if you're, you know, an athlete and you're lifting weights to build strength, to improve your performance and your health, you know, getting bulky just is not likely um, unless that's your goal. So, um, you know, eat your protein, lift your heavy weights, uh, you're, you're not going to get super bulky.
0: Gotcha.
1: Good explanation.
0: I have a question here. I'm, I'm scrolling. I'm using my iPad here at the same time, scrolling through, and I'm looking at some of the recipes on your, on your website. Can you kind of talk a little bit? Do you, do you create these recipes or are these just things that you've made and you're sharing with your, with your blog, um, or, or with your um, your members. What yeah. So
2: I I really like to cook, um, and I'm working on trying to get more recipes up there. And my husband was kind of encouraging. He's like, "You need to put this on your website. He's Like, this is really good." And it so, looks very appetizing. That's <laughs> what I'm looking.
0: At. I'm like kind of hungry right now. I like the uh, the chili shrimp. So that looks good. Can we order these things? I just wanted to know as
2: well. hub has not contacted me yet, so okay, I'll okay. let you know, Joe. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, that's that's kind of my creative outlet. I would say is cooking. I'm very concrete, sequential, and like science minded, and I'm not an artsy person whatsoever. Um, so don't ask me to paint or draw or sketch. But I would think that you know cooking is sort of my fun creative outlet, and so I really have a good time thinking about what nutrients would help athletes, you know, what I typically see athletes who are low in certain nutrients in my practice and with athlete blood test. And then how can I make that more appealing and easy for them to get? Because I think a lot of people and athletes, they don't have a lot of time and they're intimidated. They don't know what to make. Mm -hmm. What should I be eating? There's so many options out there. And so I'm trying to create sort of a library for athletes that are recipes specifically designed to meet their needs because what's ideal for an athlete is going to be different than what's ideal for the general population and so if you're just kind of googling recipes or whatever you might not be getting everything that you need um, yeah. for your training
1: so that that's interesting you say that at the time because i know the new thing now is these meal prep programs um, i've listened to a couple of those come on um some of the podcasts um, you know, they are the, the programs where you can buy and they send the packages to your house based on your needs. And it's not it's not frozen. It's like air sealed so to keep the nutrients in. And some of these, um you know, their their meat and stuff comes from like uh, farms and cows like in Germany. So they know the exact farm it's coming from. So it's not GMO stuff. And. Uh, we actually brought on one guest. He does the men's uh, performance for the Donova basketball here. And he says he's got all of his athletes on this program where they get the meal. So he knows their nutrition, knows what's going into their body. So if something's not going right, he could check off like what's good and like what they're not doing. So some of those help for that time management because, you know, when, when you're coming home and you have all this stuff to do, Sometimes you don't have time to do that, but sometimes they're expensive. And if you're not like a sponsored athlete or part of a, you know, a a program like for college where they're getting it for you as part of being an athlete, it's hard to get control of that. So having some options where you come home and everyone knows meal prep on Sunday is like the big thing. The containers come out, the prep goes, you know, and you're trying to find something. I mean, I eat the same thing for lunch, but that's just what works for me. My coworkers make fun of me, but lunch is just to get me by. I'm real big with like breakfast and dinner. But then also trying to emphasize this even like a high school or college athlete to understand because, you know, like what is like a good option, you know, like what those healthy options of like what to do and what's quick to make um, and also funding sometimes you just don't have the money to get the good things so you know trying to find something that you know is easy and not crazy expensive.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think those can be a nice way to kind of, you know, make your nutrition a little bit easier for you. And for the athletes who can't afford them or don't want to do the meal services, you can keep it really simple. I tell people, you know, effective nutrition doesn't have to be fancy or complicated, Mm -hmm. you know, stick with the basics. I'm a big fan of like the frozen steam in the bag vegetables, you know, get like a rotisserie chicken. Now you've got several days worth of meat to throw into whatever. Um, You know, I think things have come a long ways in terms of like food preparation, but you can get pretty nutritious meals for, you know, relatively inexpensive and that are really easy. You don't have to get super fancy with spices and sauces and all that.
1: What's your take on organic, the fad with organic, what is worth organic and what is not because it's on everything. Um, It is. Even on shoes and clothing now, it's organic.
2: (laughs) Yes. Organic. Yes. Our shirts
0: are organic.
2: (laughs) Organic cotton. Yeah. So organic is, I think a lot to do with marketing more so than nutrition. If you look at the research, you know, there's kind of a mixed bag in in terms of the studies, but not all studies are done with the same precision or, or weight, I would say. Um, But for most people, I tell them, I would rather see you eating real food that's conventional than, you know, not being able to get as many fruits and vegetables, and only getting one thing that's organic, right. So um, if it comes down to price, go for the variety of foods instead of just getting one thing that's organic because it is more expensive. Mm. Um, and it sounds nice and in practice, but if you look at the research, it's not always, you know, super beneficial from a health, from a health standpoint, we don't have a ton of research on it yet in terms of kind of the longer term impact, but Um, It doesn't seem too concerning from what we do have with the conventional options. Um, You know, I would make sure that you're washing your produce. Um, And if you do, you know, have the funds, getting the organic meat is probably where you would want to put your your money mm-hmm. yeah. um i think that's a little bit more important to get like the the grass-fed beef or you know the organic chicken um and that if that means that you get regular lettuce then that's fine yeah. Yeah. um so you know you kind of have to pick and choose unless you're willing to spend quite a bit on groceries i think because there is a big a big markup
1: yeah cuz i mean i personally have noticed a difference in the meat that's really where i'll go for the quality i'll look for a quality steak quality chicken um on my travels down to maryland for races i've gotten stuck behind tyson chicken trucks and that that's pretty disturbing i don't even think those things have eyes sorry if tyson's listening I mean, this is no secret but there's like feathers flying out there's like thousands of chickens packed in there oh. i'm like that be good but you do taste a difference like the the grass fed is a little bit more wholesome. It's more flavorful. Um, it smells nice. It doesn't smell like uh, sewage to open it. Uh, so a little bit of difference there. So I, I mean, I personally found that the meat is a better choice,
0: like you said. So
2: yeah, and that, so that's why I would kind of prioritize things. You know, if they have if they have the choice.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice. Can can we just go back one second? I I wrote this down, and Mike was talking about his lunch. Anna, what what, Mike, what do you eat every day for lunch that your coworkers make fun of you?
1: So I get pesto from Costco, which is awesome. It's probably got drugs in it. It's so good. And then I make pasta and I have, there's meatballs actually from Costco that are good. And I'm, I eat on the go in between treating patients. We don't really do a lunch hour. And so I just eat it because it's quick to heat up, it's quick to eat. And after all these years of experience with PT, I've gone through all the lunches. I know it works, you know. And uh, chicken doesn't do well in a microwave, red sauce doesn't do well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm Italian, my wife's 100% Italian. So I'm telling you, red sauce tastes better fresh, not in a microwave. Um, you know, and there's really? other things. Oh, you we know, want to take over leftover pizza unless you have a toaster oven ready to heat it up microwaving a pizza to me is a violation you can't do that
0: so do that i have found that, that this
1: works and for me and the type of workouts i do i i need all those i need carbs i would become a monster if i don't have carbs and people are like do you even eat i'm like you should see how much like i eat like especially after some of these workouts for like spartan racing stuff like yeah. you are doing a lot and so i need that i run off a lot of high carb source and people think oh well, you know you don't eat or You know, there's those misconceptions and stuff, but like the amount of pasta that I house and that's what I need, and it carries me through. And if I eat that at twelve, sometimes I'll still be getting a little hungry for my workout at like three or four. But that's because I find with the muscle that I carry, it's just more energy expenditure, and then on top of the workout. So I need that for me personally. Um,
0: But yeah,
2: that that's my (laughs) my my. How about that? Yeah, I just found something that works. Yeah, you know what?
0: It's right. It's it's convenient. It works. You're it's not getting red sauce and you're not getting red sauce on any of your clothing. Yes, the pesto comes out much easier. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. We went down a rabbit hole there. But I mean, like, listen, <laughs> I, I was I wrote it down. I was so curious over here. I needed to know what this like. I thought it was like like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And like, you know, like the, with the crust it. off or something. Like, I'm like, <laughs> what the hell would you he be eating? You know, like so. yeah, Yeah. Anyway anyway this is uh this is good stuff so um i kind of lost my train of thought there did you have a, a, a thought mike that you were getting ready to say i was going to talk about pre-workout how do you
1: feel about pre-workout um and obviously female athletes use it. i feel like you know pre-workout is another thing that has this stigma that either meatheads use it if you're getting jacked or crossfit you know that with the bang and all that but now obviously with um, like OCR, more endurance stuff, people are finding that they're doing it more, um, taking pre-workouts, but, um, you know, females, do they respond differently to that? Um, are they different in response to the niacin, beta alanine and the caffeine? Um, and then like, what age could they maybe start playing with that? Because I think sometimes, you know, these high school kids are not getting enough sleep, they're exhausted, they need like a pep sometimes. And I'm just like, I don't wanna encourage coffee but you know, like, what, so how, how would you balance that out? You know, like, what would you, what would you recommend?
2: Yeah. So it, it's really an individualized kind of basis when it comes to pre-workout and looking at the athlete and their situation. So how old are they and when are they training and what are they training for? So, you know, to answer your question about like the, the caffeine, that's a really interesting one, but on the basis, I would say most athletes need more sleep. Athletes need eight to 10 hours a night. And I know very few athletes outside of professionals who are getting that much sleep, especially for, you know, the high school athletes, you know, as a former varsity athlete, it is rough, right? They've got class all day, tons of homework and now they're training. So trying to get that sleep in is going to do way more than any pre-workout supplement will Um, but with the caffeine, it can be a little tricky because it is a stimulant. So you want to be careful with that, especially with the younger athletes. So women metabolize caffeine differently at different points of the menstrual cycle. Mm. Um, in general, there tend to be two major types of caffeine metabolizers for people. There's the fast metabolizers and the slow metabolizers. And so people who are fast metabolizers tend to do really well with caffeine. They respond well, they feel good, and it really gives them kind of that quick bang of energy, like you would be looking for.
1: And you touch real quick on like what fast metabolism or slow metabolism means. Like how does somebody like, what does that mean for the person?
2: Yeah. So what that means is that your liver is able to process the caffeine more quickly. So you get that quick kind of pickup that you would expect from caffeine. If you're a slow metabolizer, your liver isn't able to process it as fast. So you don't get that kind of beneficial jolt that you would if you were a fast metabolizer. Also slow metabolizers tend to have more of kind of a hardcore crash. So you need to really pay attention to how you feel on caffeine and, you know, Again, there are different genotypes. It's the difference between the CYP1A2 allele and the CYP1A2 fast and slow metabolizers. And there's kind of a continuum, but those are the kind of the two main camps. And so for women, um, during the second half of our menstrual cycle, we tend to metabolize caffeine slower. And so this can be, you know, problematic, especially if, you know, you're not getting enough sleep. And now on top of it, we're having this kind of more of a struggle to metabolize the caffeine or it's not as efficient. Um, Also being on hormonal contraception. So like a hormonal birth control pills, that's also going to cause you to be more of a slow metabolizer, regardless of your genotype. Okay. there really isn't a quick and easy answer. It depends on your genotype, and you can get um, your genetic testing done. Um, we have an option with athlete blood tests. You can do genetic testing um, to see, you know, looking at your nutrient um, kind of genotype. And there are other, you know, studies in, out there looking at caffeine metabolism. So it depends on the person, depends on your genes, whether you're responding well. And so I would say, take it on an individual basis. How do you feel when you take caffeine Um, and kind of go from there? I would say most pre-workout has a lot of things in it that athletes don't need, especially Mm -hmm. younger athletes. Um, But in terms of the caffeine, it can be really effective, especially if they're a fast metabolizer Um, and the beta alanine has some good evidence to support it as well. Most of the other ingredients don't really have research, um, proving the efficacy of it. So I would say, take it with a grain of salt, but if an athlete's using something, they like it, they feel good on it. Then I would probably let them take it as long as, you know, there isn't a big risk of adverse effects. They're not taking a crazy dose or there's, no extremely high, uh, levels of anything. In so there. you don't because,
1: recommend a five hour energy or two monsters before?
2: No, no, that's usually not my go-to for recommendations. <laughs> for day workout. Um, yeah. All so right. you want to, you want to look, if it has like thousands and thousands of, you know, percent of something, then yeah. that can be a red flag. Um, you know, Western culture, right? More is better, but- More is
0: better, more is better.
2: That does not apply to nutrients. There is a happy medium. There's kind of this Goldilocks zone because you can develop toxicities if you're getting too much of certain nutrients. And you know, B vitamins are known for being water soluble, that meaning you can just pee out any extra. But what we've seen in the data is that B12 can actually accumulate in the liver. And so that's often added in large amounts to sports products. So that's something that you want to look out for. I've seen a lot of blood tests with athletes where their B12 is super high. And, um, we take a look at sort of their supplement regimen and they're getting like 5,000 in this thing and 10,000 percent in this other powder and whatever else. So right. you want to take a look at your supplements, especially if you're taking multiple and to make sure that you're not getting too much of anything.
1: So metabolism is basically a little bit more based on genetic. Yeah. Okay. Um, now in terms of that, like uh, a bunch of questions here. So um, like multivitamins, if an athlete wanted to add something like that, when would you recommend that? And then like, what brands do you recommend? Cause there's so much stuff out there. How do you know what is like a trusted brand? And then if the athlete would need something like that.
2: Yeah. So. Generally, a multivitamin is not a bad idea. Um, it kind of covers your basis. There's no such thing as a perfect food or the perfect diet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've been looking at probably hundreds, if not thousands, of blood tests on athletes, and I've never seen anyone's blood test be perfect spot on. We've all got things that we could work on. And so I've
1: heard like a lot of people are low in magnesium and something else or something. We just don't get a lot of magnesium and something. I think it was something else in there.
2: Probably potassium can okay. be low as well. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things athletes are low in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, multivitamin, especially like for a teenager, you know, or someone in college would be helpful. Um, especially if they're not as sort of nutrition conscious, you know, if it's a lot of pizza or takeout or yeah. fast food, you know, then that's probably a good idea. Um, in terms of brands, I don't have any like brand loyalty in turn. Um, but for supplements, I do do like Douglas labs because they are very transparent in terms of like their third-party testing Mm -hmm. and their purity is, is really good. They don't put a bunch of fillers or junk in, um, as well as thorn. That's another pretty good brand. Um, in terms of, you know, a multivitamin getting one that's food-based can be helpful. Um, I'm thinking, I think it's garden of life, um, has like a raw code. Um, and I, I think heard, they m- you might even make a teen one.
1: Okay. I heard Nature's Made is a pretty reputable one that you could trust that what's in there um, as opposed to like just a target multivitamin or something. Right. They, and they I would say, better. yeah.
2: Yeah. So getting one that, you know, like I said, it's food-based is going to increase how much you can absorb okay. from it. Because um, in general, supplements aren't absorbed very well. Mm-hmm. But if you have one that's based from food, then you're going to be able to absorb it much better. Um, and when you're looking for a supplement, get a capsule or liquid or a powder. You want to avoid the tablets because tablets have so many binders in them mm-hmm. that we really don't absorb much of what's in there. So you know the like hard packed tablets, um, or sometimes they're more like you know oblong. Mm-hmm. Those I would say aren't really worth your money. So look for or more of a capsule form. Interesting. Um, so yeah, you'll get a lot more from it.
1: All right. Now, speaking of the blood testing, I'm not sure what you use, but something I've seen coming across is called Inside Tracker. They're a company that will do that personalized blood test and tell you basically where you are deficient. Now, what is that something that an athlete would do um, just obviously out of curiosity to see? Or is there a time you'd recommend like, hey, I think you should get blood testing if something's off? Like, How would... An athlete, no, I guess I based on just if they're always not performing or, you know, how would they know if they should get blood testing to see if something's really deficient, you know?
2: Yeah, so that's something that I'm pretty passionate about. So I work with um, a company, Athlete Blood Test, and we specifically okay. test athletes. And So our data is, you know, been accumulated over 10 years, and we work specifically on ideal athlete ranges. So the, you know, other companies are going to have general population data, um, and we have sort of refined it to specifically ideal for athletes, because what's ideal for the general population is going to be different than what you need as an athlete, Mm -hmm. and so you definitely wanna get tested if you are symptomatic, but even if you're not, I think it's a good idea to get tested a few times. One is in the off season to establish that baseline um, to see kind of what your normal levels are. Cause obviously there's a range, but we all tend to be different. So you might be a little higher in something and we wanna make sure that we capture that. The other thing would be um, to test after sort of a big jump in training. So a few mm-hmm. weeks, you know, maybe six weeks after you started your training block to see how your body's responding to that training because if you are, you know, really taxing your body and it's not recovering well, then that's going to be evident in the blood work. And then the third time I would say is about 6 to 8 weeks before your competition. So what this does is this allows us to see, you know, where you're at and if you're not in the ideal range, that gives us enough time to get you into that you know, ideal range and be physiologically primed for your competition so that you can do well and you know be your best essentially versus testing right before and saying, oh well, you're a little low and you know, folate and vitamin D. It's like, well, if you're you know competing next week, it's too late. So yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. gotcha. All right. So listen, I know Mike's got a ton of questions. This is like rapid fire for Dr. Anna right here. <laughs> since we since obviously we work with the injured athlete. Um, I get them after Mike is seeing them, um, kind of touch on what you would recommend and not recommend as like an anti-inflammatory type of, um, uh, diet. I don't want to say diet, but anti-inflammatory type of, of, of meals right after injury. Is it different right after an injury than what you would be normally as there's certain foods to avoid after injury?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. So right after injury, this is a really critical time for your nutrition because your body is, you know, like after you're injured, it's on a timeline. And so we only have so many days where your body's going to be in this repair and recovery phase. And if we don't give it the right nutrients within that time window, you could have, you know, permanent alterations in your abilities in terms of, you know, functionality or your recoverability. So Initially, you want to make sure that you're getting plenty of protein. And this is because we need those amino acids for the tissue repair. And it depends a little bit on what the injury is, but definitely making sure you're getting enough protein. Um, And also focusing on kind of real food. So, you know, a lot of different fruits and vegetables, thinking about the different colors to get the antioxidants that are in those different colors. So, each color is going to represent a different, you know, nutrient. It's going to be prevalent in that food. So you want to get a variety of them. So, you know, the purple and the blue, yellow, orange, green, um, making sure that you kind of eat the rainbow after you're injured, because that's going to give you those, you know, anti-inflammatory foods to help modulate the inflammation. We don't want to eliminate inflammation because inflammation in and of itself is not bad, but we want to moderate it so that we have enough that it nudges the body to heal, but not so much that it's rampant and it overtakes you know, the, the body's ability to heal and to recover.
1: Gotcha.
2: So focusing on, you know, the fruits and vegetables, the whole grains, and then getting plenty of protein.
0: Now, would you, would you steer away from certain foods? Are there certain ones that you would definitely be like, yeah, these are foods that we need to stay away from post recovery. You know, um, again, we see a lot of ACL. So say like the first two weeks out, like, is there's things that are like, definitely no, 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 stay away from, or is it just kind of?
2: Yeah. I mean, I would say limiting, you know, kind of the more pro-inflammatory food. So looking at like the processed oils are pretty inflammatory, uh, a lot of omega-6 fatty acids. So things like, um, you know, baked pastries that are going to be processed, like cookies, things that you would get kind of in that snack aisle, I would say you would want to either eliminate or just limit um, to maybe like one treat and really keep an eye on that because they're also going to be very energy dense. Um, And so you definitely don't want to cut calories, um, significantly when you're injured. And that's one of the biggest mistakes I see athletes make is they're injured and they go, Oh my gosh, I'm not training. I need to cut calories. You know, I don't want to gain weight, but that is a huge mistake. You want to maintain your weight when you're injured. We can always, you know, lose weight or do body recomposition later, but you only have this window to heal and repair correctly, or you're going to have just nasty scar tissue that's going to be permanent if you don't have the right nutrients there. So, um, yeah, so I would say, you know, kind of shine away from more of the highly processed, super high sugar, um, especially like the partially hydrogenated oils, um, the trans fats, things like that aren't going to be terribly helpful for, uh, recovery.
1: So how do you have a conversation with your female athletes that, um, you know, still are on that that body composition um, insecurity a little bit. You know, they uh, look at parts of their bad body. You know, like I want to lose this, I want to lose this. I get uh, women, you know, at sixty and up who can you get rid of the second wave? And we're coming in for like shoulder, sir. You know, rotator cuff. You know, surgeon so like, let me get rid of the second wave while you fix my shoulder. And I'm just like, you know, um, so having that conversation so females can understand also you know, have confidence starting at a younger age and not have that complex and understanding the difference between muscle and body fat and that, that healthy image. I I do see a lot of uh, females putting a lot of that on social media, understand that you could have two women at 130 pounds and they look completely different because one is muscle and one is just literally almost like skin and bones. They look like, you know, can you kind of touch a little bit on that?
2: Yeah. I mean, that's a really complex topic in terms of kind of body image and women are under so much pressure, especially now with social media to, you know, look a certain way. And it's really dangerous with the amount of like Photoshop and editing and retouching and all of that. that (laughs)
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, and you look at what's on social media and then women say, well, I don't look like that. Yeah. And then it causes this negative you know, thought pattern that just cycles over and over. And so there are a few things that you can do to kind of minimize that. I don't think, unless you're willing to like get off social media altogether um, and kind of isolate yourself, it's always gonna be there. But there are some things that we can do to minimize it. And I would say the first thing to do is to focus on gratitude and focus on your abilities. If you can think about, you know, what are you able to do, right. And be grateful for that. That's going to really shift your mindset. So I tell my athletes, like, I want you to go through each body part and thank it for something that it does for you. So your feet for walking you to class for your legs, for allowing you to jump and, you know, whatever it is, or to run for your my arms. knee
0: for moving again. Thank yes. goodness.
2: Healing <laughs> oh. <laughs> past that ACL injury. Yes. Um, So yeah, so really being grateful for their abilities and what their body does for them instead of focusing more on how it looks. The other thing is really being a little more judicious about who they're following and the social media accounts that they're surrounding themselves with. So do, you know, I hate detoxes and cleanses. They're total BS, but do a social media cleanse, right? Unfollow accounts that make you feel inferior or could be triggering, um, and I can send you guys a list of some accounts that I think are helpful in terms of like really more realistic yeah. body and we'll add
0: that in the show notes. Yeah. And yep, yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. And, um, because the research does show that the more you're exposed to something, the more you tend to like it or accept it. Yeah. So I think just being surrounded by a wider variety of bodies is going to be helpful, um, for kind of minimizing that negative, that negative body talk, nice. um, So I think those are some things that can be, be really helpful with that. And also, you know, again, focusing on other things in their life that they have going for them too, and shifting all of that kind of emphasis on their appearance. Because a lot of times when we feel insecure, we feel like we have to look a certain way to be Mm -hmm. sort of worthy or accepted or liked and realizing that your, your weight, it doesn't equate to your worth. So, you know, you as an individual is not based on your worth, isn't based on how you look or your body. So focusing really on, you know, who you are as a person. And if that means building up what we call social capital um, or identity capital is another way to go about it. So, you know, focus on other things that you can do instead of putting all of that effort into just your appearance.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that that even goes on, on both sides. I think that as an athlete, you have to understand that the sport has certain demands. So, um, you know, everyone wants some aesthetics, but certain sports are going to require a, a different look. You know, a soccer player is going to be built much differently than a volleyball player and a basketball player than someone who's doing bodybuilding. Um, and I try to even explain too to some of the young girls that men deal with that issue too. I mean, men obviously want to look good, but there's certain sports that are going to require to look differently. Um, the funny thing about obstacle course racing is it's, it's a balance of everything. You have to be strong and fast. So you see all these guys get to the start line, their shirts are off and they look all buff and jacked. but then you go to some of the long distance stuff and they're all like twiggish looking and everything. But it's a lot of guys that defy that there's guys that could really run long and and they're pretty solid. I mean, Matthew Centrowitz, who is the Olympic miler for uh, US. I mean, that guy deadlifts like a ton of weight and he's pretty solid, but he's not like a bodybuilder. So you understand that. You need muscles for performance for your sport and while you're competing that's what you're going to do and you have your entire rest of your life to go and just like look good if that's what you want to do you know um so that's kind of how i try to explain it as well but um with the social media there's a lot of these influencers and i've gone on my rant about that before and you see a lot of these fads put out there about diets so like you said, detoxes and cleanses. And so that's a big thing out there. Like let's do the COVID detox or the holiday detox or, you know, the vacation, return from vacation cleanse. Can you explain why those are BS?
2: <laughs> yes, I would be happy to. And I just yeah. wrote a blog post on this, I think two weeks ago. Oh, right. um, And so, yes. So if you have a liver and you have a kidney, ideally two, then you are detoxing all the time. Your organs are designed to be purifying your blood and to cleanse whatever it is that you're putting in there. And so this idea that we have to devote a certain period of time to strictly detox is just misguided. And it's funny because they're actually a little counterproductive in the sense that they you know, allow you to only have like juices or you know drinks or only a handful of foods for a certain period of time. And the truth is for our body to naturally detox itself, it needs certain nutrients, vitamins, minerals, in order for that to function. And so these cleanses often lack the essential nutrients that it needs to be naturally detoxing. So it's a little Hmm. counterproductive. Um, And I think it's more of, you know, a mental than it is physical people feel like they're doing something for themselves like oh I'm bettering myself I'm cleansing um and I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to improve yourself um but there are better ways about going about that so I would say focusing on again just the real foods I know it's not super exciting and sexy but that's what's effective yeah and so things like you know broccoli cauliflower kale um Brussels sprouts, those are really high in, um, what's and and they're cruciferous vegetables. And so those are going to support kind of the natural detoxification, um, in the liver. And so cilantro supports stage two detoxification. So like just eating real food is going to be your best bet. Um, and you really don't need to be doing these cleanses, which can be actually very dangerous. They can mm-hmm. cause electrolyte imbalances, um, and nutrient, um, abnormalities, especially the ones that are like just liquids, they're not going to be high in protein. So you can actually lower your resting metabolic rate, which can make it harder to, you know, optimize your body composition later on. So you can spare yourself. You don't need a detox. You don't need to cleanse.
0: Nice. Nice. So- I had a question here. Um, this goes kind of back into what we were talking about as far as the the magnesium and potassium that maybe most of us um, lack. I remember years ago, I read this article about salty sweaters. So, and determining like who is one and, and a simple test would be if you were wearing black and you were sweating and you had white rings around or, or a hat where, um, do they seem to be affected more than somebody else who are, since we're already talking about maybe lacking that magnesium and potassium does a salty sweater. Are they at more of risk of of quicker dehydration and then potential injury because of that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So there is a thing in salty sweaters um, and they do, they lose more electrolytes and more minerals in their sweat. So we lose zinc, iron, magnesium, potassium, sodium, calcium. We lose a lot in our sweat. And so they tend to have more concentrated sweat. So they're losing more of these um, elements in their sweat. And so sweat rates can vary a lot. Um, typically you see anywhere between like 150 to, you know, 300, 500 um, milligrams of sodium per hour, but we've seen up to, I think it's 5,000 milligrams um, of sodium loss in athletes. So yes, if you do notice that you have like this sort of white residue either on your brow or on your clothes, that can be a sign that you're a salty sweater um, or if you tend to cramp more easily, that can be another sign that you're, you know, maybe a little more sensitive to that electrolyte balance. So you want to make sure that you're replenishing those electrolytes if you are losing more of them. So my husband is a really salty sweater. He, you know, gets the white on his forehead and clothes. And so he needs a lot more salt versus like, I don't lose very much when I sweat. Um, And so he just, he needs a lot more salt than, than I do. So,
0: So would he prepare more for his workout with something that has a little bit more sodium base to it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and during his workouts, he will take more salt in, um, and then also like during the day he'll have more salts in his food. So he'll, um, actually he tends to prefer saltier foods. And I think a big part of that is because he loses more salt.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Um, do you find, what are you finding with, um, like gluten-free products for even people who actually need it? They have a gluten, uh, insensitivity or maybe celiac. Um, a lot of these, uh, younger kids now just have more of these allergies. Um, can you get the same nutrient value? Um, can you kind of explain like what the gluten is and people think like, some people think like if they just stay gluten-free and everything, it's like healthier, Um, I don't think they understand what gluten is.
2: Yes, no, I'd be happy to talk about that. So gluten is a protein in wheat, barley, and rye, and wheat is a subsidized commodity. So it is in almost everything in our food supply here. So um, people who have celiac disease, they have um, basically an allergic reaction um, to the gluten, to the protein in the wheat. I mean, barley and rye too, but that's Mm -hmm. not very common in our food supply. So they, you know, can have serious GI issues um, in younger kids. It can stunt their growth because it causes um, malabsorption in the gut. So there's this misconception that if it's gluten-free, that it's healthier. And that's just not true, especially with like more of the products and the processed foods. If you take, for example, a gluten-free cookie, a lot of times it has more carbohydrates because they have to add extra sugar, extra fat to try to make it taste better. So just because it's gluten-free does not mean it's healthier. And a lot of times it's even less healthy um, because they have to try to make it taste a little bit better. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, avoiding gluten, if you don't have celiac disease can be detrimental. Um, They've done studies and they show that by avoiding the gluten, you can have low levels of B vitamins Um, which are rich in, you know, a lot of whole grains. And so you don't need to shy away from gluten if, you know, you feel okay when you're eating it. Um, And they've done some interesting studies. They did one study on athletes and they did a double blind study. So the athletes didn't know if they were getting a protein bar with gluten or if it was gluten-free. And they said that, oh yeah, I'm gluten sensitive. But what they found is that you know, they really didn't have any symptoms when they didn't know if they were getting gluten or not. So I think a lot of it is kind of the placebo effect and sort of psychological. Um, And so, you know, if you're not getting symptoms, then I would say that you're better off just having sort of real food um, instead of trying to have these alternative products that might be gluten-free. And, you know, you mentioned the food sensitivities and the food allergies. So if you're getting these blood tests that have, you know, food sensitivities, a lot of times those are very erroneous and they're not very reliable. Um, Mm -hmm. Looking at IGE studies, um, it's very dependent on the lab and sort of what antibodies they're using. And so um, I wouldn't recommend going and getting, you know, a blood test to check for food sensitivities, because it's going to give you a lot of foods and you're like, wow, I eat a lot of these. And that's because your body is creating, you know, these antibodies because you're eating these foods on a regular basis. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that you have a sensitivity. So the best thing to do is really to listen to your body. If you're experiencing symptoms, try cutting maybe a certain food out and see how you do give it some time um, before reintroducing it.
1: Yeah, I find that that can happen with people who are just eating excessive amounts. It's like, you know, a muffin for breakfast. It's, you know, hoagies for lunch and then going home and having pastas and breads like like five days a week and then eating pizza and like strombolis on the weekend.
0: <laughs> and yeah, the Dose makes the this point is, This is not my diet, he's
1: talking about. <laughs> Just saying it's like it's again, you know, having the balance and it's like way excessive, you know. Interesting. Now speaking of way excessive. Um, I wanted to get some questions answered on hydration. Now I actually heard Andy Galpin talk about uh, hydration and doing studies on proper hydration, especially for athletes. Um, I get a lot of, you know, even just female patients too, about drinking the water. I think if they drink the water, they're flushing their system. They're going to lose weight. I get even sometimes older women who come in and like, I lost a pound today. And I'm like, (laughs) <laughs> okay. Um, and we have to have the conversation about water weight and how that could fluctuate a little bit. But can we explain like proper hydration? Everyone thinks you need to drink those eight ounces or eight glasses a day. And, you know, then if you're an athlete, what is the proper hydration? Because then there's the, you know, hyponatremia and, you know, flushing too much out of your system. You can touch a little bit on that.
2: Yeah. So let's talk about the eight glasses of eight ounces a day, because that's what I heard growing up. It seems mm-hmm. to be a very prevalent recommendation. And if you look, that recommendation actually comes from Japanese uh, marketing to get people to buy more bottled water. Wow. Um, And I think it was like around World War II, don't quote me on that, but it's really outdated. And there's no scientific basis to that. So you can ignore the eight, o- eight glasses of eight ounces. Um, you'll see different like equations or recommendations online in terms of how much you need to drink to be optimally hydrated. And the truth is it's gonna depend on a lot of different variables. It's not as easy as just you know, putting things into an equation um, online to get your optimal hydration. It's gonna depend on the weather, the humidity, the temperature, how much salt have you had in your diet recently? There's a lot of different things that are gonna factor into it. So instead of trying to create some you know, crazy complicated algorithm, the best thing you can do is to look at your pee. If you can see through your urine, so if there was newsprint on the bottom of the toilet bowl, you should be able to read it. You don't want it to be cloudy or a dark yellow urine or brown that means you're underhydrated so you want to consume more water and more fluids but if it's totally clear that means you're overhydrated and i get a lot of athletes who are like oh yes my pee was clear yeah. but the problem is that means that your electrolytes are too few and far between and so you brought up hyponatremia which is the sciency word for low sodium and so you can be low in electrolytes if you're drinking too much so again that goldilocks zone more is not better. Mm-hmm. And so you want to have a balance. So aim for at least four light pale urinations per day. If you're doing that and you're feeling okay then, you know, you really don't need to drink much more than that. So, you know, I see people at the gym with like their gallon of water. Yeah. And it's like it's just it's not necessary and you're not going to flush fat from your system. So fat is not going to be first of all, fat's not water soluble. So you're not going to pee out fat. Um, Mm. And so it's not like you can just, you know, wash it out. Um, And so, you know, you obviously want to be well hydrated so that your blood flows well, because if you're dehydrated, then your blood's going to be a little thicker. And so it's not going to flow quite as easily. And that can just be more stressful on your heart. Um, You can have more issues with like temperature control. So you want to be well hydrated, but again, you don't need to be drinking gallons of water. And, you know, your body does a pretty good job in terms of regulating your thirst and how that relates to hydration. As long as you're not in extreme conditions, you know, if you're doing, you know, an OCR, it's 90 and humid in July, then yeah, your thirst is not going to be a reliable indicator yeah. of your hydration status. So you have to be smart about it. Um, but in general, kind of day to day, I would say, you know, you don't have to do anything extreme in order to stay well hydrated.
0: Nice. Okay, so good. Stuff. All right. Question on prebiotics and probiotics. What is the difference between the two of those? And can you kind of touch on that a little bit?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. So prebiotics are essentially fiber and these are going to be the food components or the nutrients that feed the gut microbiomes. So we have these um, gut microbes living in our intestines that, um, are quite prevalent, some are more beneficial than others. And so they feed off of prebiotics or fiber. So you can get prebiotic supplements, but better yet, get them from food. Um, so eating things like artichoke hearts, um, mm. you know, fruits and vegetables are gonna be um, a good source. Onions are another good source um, of sort of prebiotics um, resistant starch. So like baked and then cooled potatoes, um, bananas are another source those are going to feed those good microbes. Um, So the probiotics are the actual living organisms themselves. So these are like the actual little bugs. And so these are going to be in foods that are fermented. So things like yogurt, um, kimchi, kefir, those are going to be um, Niso is another fermented food. They're going to have like the actual living organisms in them. And so I recommend that athletes get them from a food source. We don't have a lot of research on um, probiotics yet to the point where we can be making recommendations Mm -hmm. to the general population. Every athlete has a different gut. It's almost like a fingerprint at this point. And so I think eventually we'll get to the point where we can make recommendations, but at this point, um, what's beneficial in one athlete isn't necessarily helpful in another. So I recommend that athletes get their prebiotics or their probiotics, both of them from food rather than from supplements.
1: Now, I've heard a couple of things. Is sometimes the probiotics in the yogurts aren't really as effective. It's just like marketed. It's kind of hard to prove that those probiotics are really like effective. Are you getting enough to actually make a difference? Is there anything to show yeah,
2: that? Yeah. And I, yeah. I mean, we do have some studies looking at different cultures in yogurt. And I think part of it depends on the brand too and how I think the quality of the yogurt. Um, you know, you, I think there's some pretty cheap yogurts and they will just kind of like throw in like a probiotic supplement. And so it's like, I wouldn't really recommend that, but if you get like a a genuine, genuinely cultured yogurt, that's going to be your best bet versus some of these cheaper ones that have either probiotics added or, um, don't necessarily have the highest quality process.
1: Right. So the interesting thing with the bioptimizers is on their website, they actually put, took a piece of steak and then they opened up two of the mass signs and poured it on there and they'll show it deg- like degrading. And then they actually added the P3OM and they show it faster, like breaking down, breaking down. So you see it working. Um, and I've even heard just some talk on other podcasts where they were saying that sometimes some of those like probiotics you get in like your refrigerator at just like the random grocery store, actually maybe aren't as effective, they can do some damage to you maybe because they're not proper, or maybe they're just like expired and, you know, it's hard to regulate. So.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So you don't have to necessarily get, you know, you don't need to get the refrigerated probiotics that Mm -hmm. that's not really helpful. Um, you know, but you were talking about some of the enzymes too, and that can be helpful for athletes if Mm -hmm. they have digestive issues getting, um, you know, a digestive enzyme that can help break down the food so they're able to absorb it because you can have the best diet in the world, but if you're not able to absorb it, it's not really going to help you.
1: Yeah. Cause I heard, um, even on other nutrition talks, you're saying just the food these days is a little bit harder to break down because even some of the stuff, because it's produced a little bit more, um, sometimes it's just, our gut has a hard time breaking down a lot of it. Or if you are an athlete and needs to get a lot in, maybe you are someone who's doing like bodybuilding or something and you're like eating or consuming a lot, it's just a lot for your body to take in. How does it keep up? So has that extra help to kind of break it down? You know? So, yeah.
0: All right, we've gotten to the part of the show here where I would like to ask a couple questions to the guests. Uh, they're a little bit off-topic. Um, so, first question I have for you is: um, What keeps you up at night these days? It could be personal. It could be. It <laughs> mm, could be.
2: That's a good question. Uh I well in general I would say I sleep really well. But if I am waking up, it's usually thinking about things that I have to give back to clients about. Okay. So, right. so I would say it's work-related things Work that related. I have yet to do. Okay. Yes.
0: All right. Um define some of your success habits.
2: Hmm. Some of my success habits. I would say I'm really consistent with my schedule. So I'm pretty judicious about scheduling things in and when I'm gonna do things. So if it's on my schedule, I will do it. Um, One of the best tips that I have received is, um, or that I've heard is successful people don't have a to-do list, they have a schedule. So instead of making a list of things I need to do today, I have a planner that I love and I will first make my to-do list and then I'll go to my planner and I will actually schedule in when I'm going to do things. So that way I know that there's a place for everything to, to get done instead of just thinking, mm, "What when am I going to do these things?
0: That's some good so, time management skills right there. That's good stuff. Yes. Uh, yes. So I would say
2: that's maybe one of the biggest ones.
0: Okay. How about, do you have another one?
2: Uh, in terms of success habits, I would say consistency, you mm-hmm. know, you can accomplish a lot. I think Bill Gates said something along the lines of people overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10 years. And so if you're consistent, whether that's with new training, or nutrition, um, you can really make a lot of progress over time. You know, don't try to do too much at once, but just be consistent with it. And you can do quite a bit.
0: Chunking it down. Tony Robbins, chunk it down. All right. Third question. Um, what's your latest obsession right now?
2: I would say my latest obsession is looking at probably nutrition around the menstrual cycle, digging into the research, looking at the different fluctuations in nutrients and the the biomarkers. Something that I'm really perplexed with right now is um, there's a study that looked at antioxidant intake in athletes and they showed a performance benefit in men, but not in women. And I'm trying to figure out why that is. So if anyone listening to this knows the answer, let me know.
0: There you go. We have a very, very big uh, listening audience. So somebody out there, you're going to get back to Dr. Anna. When we're done at the end of the show, she's going to tell us where you can contact her. But um, I always like to kind of bring it back to Mike. He may have another question or so, but I bring it back to him and kind of he likes to wrap things up for us here. So if you do have any other questions, go ahead, Mike.
1: I do have one other question because I know that you will have a lot of females listening to this episode be really interesting. Um, do you do any work with athletes that are postpartum and um, after they have the child, um, you know, obviously, you know, what, uh, what are some changes and some things that they need to do even if they're not an athlete, just a woman who's looking to get back into being fit and the points of that and how does the diet change and things that they need to do other Things that they're more sensitive to as, you know, as well as a cycle, but after having a child can you talk a little bit about the real quick.
2: Yeah. I mean, having a baby is the ultimate workout. So yeah. Yeah. it's all about the, <laughs> the recovery process after that. So, you know, depending on how far they are postpartum, there are definitely some things that we want to focus on. The, the primary thing is making sure that they're getting enough nutrients, especially if they're breastfeeding. So breastfeeding mm-hmm. burns like 500 to 700 calories a day it is a workout in and of itself. So making sure that they're getting enough energy and the nutrients both for themselves and for the baby, because growing a human being takes a lot of nutrients. And so women are fairly depleted after they give birth. So we're really trying to replenish those nutrient stores, which can take quite a while. Um, so making sure that they have, you know, food that is rich in a variety of nutrients and they have enough energy to get through the day, which I know can be tricky with little yeah. sleep um, yeah. and having a, a newborn baby. So making sure that they're getting enough of kind of those real foods that are nutrient dense is important. Getting enough carbohydrate to support, you know, their thyroid as well as their energy levels and protein too, to make sure that they're able to produce, um, you know, that lean tissue that they're going to be Building hopefully as they're they're working out, and so you want to make sure that they're eating consistently throughout the day too, um, that they're getting the nutrients spread mm. out, and that's easier for absorption instead of trying to pack too many nutrients in one meal or too Gosh. close of a time frame. Um, so yeah, I do work with some women who are postpartum because again, trying to kind of reestablish normal with a new baby can be challenging, yeah. um, and if your nutrition is out of whack that makes things so much harder um and also rebalancing their hormones because there's a whole you know cloud of hormones and cascades that go on with giving birth and so trying to reestablish you know their menstrual cycle and their hormone balance is important um, after they've given birth so you definitely want to be cognizant and conscientious when it comes to their nutrition both for them but also for the baby too Mm.
1: very good cool all right. This was, uh, this was awesome. This was a lot of great information. Um, this is why we like to do this podcast, uh, because we want to get the information out there. We think people like yourself should have a bigger voice in a platform and it only happens with sharing stuff like this, you know, um, social media has the pros and cons. Um, I think it's a great ability to share a network. Like we're here because I listened to another podcast because the guys I know through a sport that I do, And vice versa. And we brought on a lot of other cool guests on here and we like to connect them together, too, because the more networking, the more power you have. Like you might get some answers, some questions you're doing research because you have met someone else, you know. So the networking is really what we like to do. Um, I always tell people I'd rather have a lot of true followers of people that are real athletes, professionals that we can network then a bunch of like bots, bullshit, and like weird Europeans that mess with spam bots. I mean, I always, I always screenshot that and post on my story to make fun of it. The latest one was I got five messages from five different bots saying they want ladies to model their underwear. So I'm like, (laughs) but it's going around a lot of people. I got a lot of other uh, friends that are getting the same thing. So it's crazy with the spam bots, you know? Um, But so, yeah, so I like to I'd rather have the, you know, the following, the networking of cool stuff. Cause you know, questions will come up and I'll be like, you know what, let me shoot a message to Anna and ask her. And that's kind of cool. And then, you know, you, you learn a lot from that. And that's what we like to do. Um, that's what we're trying to do with this podcast is we're trying to get it out to basically the parents, the athletes, coaches, physicians, you know, we put this out on all the platforms, so people can hear it and understand it. And then we're having discussions with, you know, them in the clinic and stuff. I can say, Hey, you know, you should check this out and give it a listen. So you can learn a little bit Um, because it's amazing how much misinformation is out there. Um, And there's like a lack of understanding and people come in with all these myths, especially as a PT, I hear this stuff all the time. And I have to get on that soapbox a little bit because no one else is really doing it. You know, um, Sometimes the physicians are, are too bogged down and they're in and out in eight minutes. They give them a diagnosis and the patient doesn't even know what that means. And they come out and they have all these questions. Uh, and the same thing, you know, you know, the nutrition is such an important thing. We're looking so much more at human performance now um, and understanding. And I mean, I, I've been using the whoopstrap for about uh, a year now, and it's really cool to see that relation to my habits and what it's showing but it's just another device as well as the blood testing and things that we're looking at um i just watched the uh documentary icarus where they were looking at the the doping and i just i was kind of a little depressed for a couple hours after that because it was such a shame to see like it wasn't only going on in russia i mean we do that stuff here in the u.s to see human performance just exploited like that and it's like we're trying to do research and understand so many more natural ways of performance and like how cool it could be to kind of really individualizing and honing down. You can see there's a lot of great success without that stuff. I mean, I listened to Matt Frazier talk on Joe Rogan winning CrossFit, you know, five times champion and what he did and really just just stuck to this property. And even his diet was trash and he was still able to come second multiple years. But he's like, if I want to get that first place, I got to really hone in. I'm doing this, but there was a time where his diet was chocolate milk and a beef stick while he was studying. Wow. You know, wow. and it showed how if you want to get to that next level, you can do it, but you really have to dial in. So that's a conversation we like to have with a lot of these um, young athletes that come in, especially these females. You know, they're 15, 16, and they want to do this in college and they wanna they wanna do well and they have to understand that in order to prevent these injuries and why they're still growing, even though they're not growing taller, they're still like developing into their frame. You know, they have to understand that I, I put it as an analogy, like you're like a tree that sprouts up and it might reach its maximal height, but it has to season a tree that goes through the seasons. It kind of hardens. It, it gets, you know, uh, obviously season there, you know, it develops and it becomes thicker with the environment. And that's kind of how I, I tell these athletes are going to become you spurt up And now you have to develop into that. And part of that development is in nutrition and the diet. And if you want to do this stuff year round, you're basically like a pro athlete. You're just not getting paid yet, but you're still growing and you're doing this. So that's part of it, understanding how to take care of your body, you know, and I've learned that from myself too, and doing, you know, OCR and the demands, you know, you can't go and do the things that the sport demands, you know, and, and just, you know. Eat like crap or not have things balanced out. It just doesn't work. I've hit all rounds. I've overtrained, I've undertrained, you know, and then you find that that balance. But I think with all this great uh education stuff they put out, especially here, and I think this will really be helpful. Um and I definitely want to like be able to network and put you in contact to with other people who think might benefit. And that'd be really cool. Um, one of the guys that I work with, one of my sponsors, I don't know if you're familiar with in um but matt mm-hmm. Austin is a scientist he is like a guru his website is a wealth of information i actually write articles for him monthly on pt stuff but he's so cool we brought him on an episode and he has a lot of great stuff but you never know maybe sometimes touching base with him and asking questions you never know because you guys are kind of in the same field i mean he has so much cool background and that's the stuff we like to do through this is get people like minds together and network to be able to create an awesome product, you know, exactly.
0: Jen, create that, create that network. That's what I I, I tell yeah. my kids. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, you're, you're only as good as your network, you know? And um, again, I can't thank you enough for being on tonight. Uh, sorry for the little bit of tef- technical difficulties in the beginning there. They had a great conversation and I was just list, trying to listen in, but I couldn't get, I couldn't get into the, uh, into the set, but we ended up pulling it off, and uh, again, I can't thank you enough for your time tonight. So, where where can everybody find you? Where, where where's the best place, social media wise, that they can find you?
2: Yeah, yeah. So, um, my Instagram handle is Dr. Onaroby, so D R A N N A R O B Y, um, and that's also my website, so dronaroby.com, and the, my email is on there, so they can get a hold of me there too as well
0: nice fantastic mike where can they find you
1: uh i'm at honey underscore juicy on instagram i have fun with my instagram i go through the spiel all the time i think people take it a little too seriously it's just a fun network i post pt stuff workouts stupid shit just fun stuff i mean you gotta have fun with it it's social media i mean look at the filters they put on there you don't put that on there if you're not gonna have fun with it so have fun be creative make people laugh, smile, you know, have some fun with it. So that's why it's like that. So you can find all the juicy information on that site there. At
0: the table. Nice, nice. And how about give us your your LinkedIn as well? Yeah, I'm at Mike
1: St. George on LinkedIn. Um, we'll post all the podcasts on there. I have all the articles I write for Endure um, We post some of the cool stuff we're doing with patients and our athletes. Um, and then we have networks too and a lot of cool physicians and stuff that we work with. So I think that LinkedIn has become a really great
0: way to network. I agree. Uh, I agree. Yeah. Finally listen to me on that one. Good stuff. You can, <laughs> you can find me at coach underscore Haas, H O S. You can also go to the YouTube channel and watch this, uh, podcast. Uh, if you just go into the search box, coach Haas, you can also find me on LinkedIn at Joe Haas and, uh, also Facebook, Facebook, uh, coach Haas, Facebook page. Oh, I'm stumbling over my words here. So anyway, the end of the show. I appreciate you all. Have a great night.